Hey everyone, it's Ron Johnson, and this is the Ron Johnson Show on Locked On Sports Minnesota. We have to talk about the Timberwolves. They do not want to go down 2-0. Why? Because those teams have not found a way to win. They showed a, a graphic of defending champions or even just champions that have gone down 2-0 in a series, and they haven't won anything. So these guys haven't even sniffed the championship. So do they want to go down 2-0? We'll talk about how they avoid that versus the Nuggets coming up next on the Ron Johnson Show. Locked On Sports Minnesota Podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. Now the Ron Johnson Show. On the field, in the broadcast booth, Ron Johnson is Minnesota sports. He's played with them, hung out with them, and grown up with all the big names in Minnesota sports. They're hanging out with Ron Johnson. It's the Ron Johnson Show on the Locked On Sports Minnesota Podcast. And it starts now. Hey, everyone. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On Sports. Uh, it's also the place where you can make every moment more. Why? Because when you jump into those parlays, and I've done it, it makes it so much more exciting. Why? Because you might not just want to watch one team. You might your team might not even be in the playoffs anymore, but you can pick multiple teams across multiple games or multiple players across multiple games and find a way to cash in on as simple as a ten dollar or twenty dollar bet based off the odds. I'm talking about plus three hundred plus one thousand plus fifteen hundred. Those are the odds you're going to want to hit because you know what? Sports are so, so, so undetermined. You never know what's going to happen. So. You might want to make that bet and pick some of the long, the dark horses because they tend to pay out. Just remember, you can go to FanDuel.com backslash locked on to get started today. Well, we got to talk about the NBA. Uh, the NBA playoffs have started. They are underway. Uh, the Lakers, Grizzlies. Now, this is one for me like I am intently watching because John Morant may not play. We're talking about they could go up 2-0 on the Grizzlies. And I don't know if it's that as a Timberwolves uh, supporter, we just hate the Grizzlies after last year's series and everything that went down. Uh, but I tend to hate the Grizzlies right now. I don't know why. I don't know if it's Dylan Brooks. Maybe I am a LeBron fan and I don't like Dylan Brooks. Uh, I'm a Shannon Sharp fan and I don't like Dylan Brooks. So I would love to see the Memphis Grizzlies go down 2-0 because I don't think that they can come back from that without John Morant. Now you look at the Warriors and the Suns. They were sorry, the Clippers and the Suns, the Clippers or the Suns were able to even it up because, again, going down 2-0 is not what you want to do. The Warriors have gone down 2-0 to the Kings. It could be over them. And they showed that for past champions going down 2-0. Well, now we got the Timberwolves. Timberwolves are down 1-0 to the Nuggets. They play in Denver one more time. That altitude is a big deal. But we'll talk about that as I bring my producer in, Sam Ekstrom. And also, people remember, Amazon Fire and Roku, you can download the app, Locked On Sports Minnesota app. We're on Amazon Fire and your Roku. Please subscribe. We could use the subscribers. Go to YouTube and subscribe. Just create an email account. And also, wherever you get your iTunes, Spotify, iTunes, uh, iHeartMedia app, wherever it is, wherever you get your podcast, just hit the subscribe button to Locked On Sports Minnesota. But, Sam, I, I kind of yeah. did uh, 2-0 for past champions has been an absolute, like, it's not going to work for you. Like, you're not coming back from that in the first round. Uh, it's, it's just a tough thing. Because we've seen LeBron go down 3-1, and LeBron beat the Warriors. Like, LeBron is – it's LeBron, though. 
But when you talk about going down 2-0, one, you're the one C versus the eight. So nobody even gives you a chance. Nobody's giving you a chance at all. And the Timberwolves, like I said, in that first quarter, maybe, they found a way to work. This is this is where I go with my take on this for the Timberwolves in order to beat mm-hmm. them. One, you have to, like, if you watch the, the and I don't know if you watch this, but I did, the 76ers, because I like James Harden. I'm a James Harden fan. If you watch the 76ers versus the Nets, the Nets, even though it's not working because they have shooters in uh in, in Philadelphia. I mean, Maxi is knocking down threes. Uh, you got Harden, of course, is, is a is a laser beam from anywhere. And so what they're doing is they're doubling Joel Embiid at the top of the key, basically making him get rid of the ball. Like you're not about to take our guy because he is the best. I think he's the MVP. I think he's the MVP over Jokic to me after watching. Joel Embiid play and then watching the Joker play, it's clear to me. But again, these voters have votes and they get to put it out. But Joel Embiid is the MVP. Like he is unstoppable. He is game. He can shoot. He can drive. He's strong. He's quick. He's fast. Jokic is not fast. And, and that's why the Nets have tried everything they can to stop him. But they're sending two guys at him, so he has to get rid of the ball. If I'm the Timberwolves, I'd do that. I'm going to send two at Joker. And, and force him to get rid of the ball sooner than he wants to. But you have to strategically do it. You can't just send it at him and he know You have to pick and choose when you're going to do it. This is Chris Finch to his defenders. They have to come up with some type of formula to say, hey, this is when you do it. When his back, if his back's to you, you're the you're the guy. Like you, it, It's not always the same guy. But you can't leave shooters open. And so you have to figure out who's guarding the shooters. You guys can't come off. I need somebody else who's not guarding a shooter to be able to come off. And, and that's only when Joker gets it like in a spot where he can absolutely dominate. And I'm thinking, and I'm talking about when Kyle Anderson is guarding him because Kyle, like uh, Gobert and Cat, I think they're fine on him. But when you put Kyle Anderson on him because you're trying to eliminate some, some early fouls from Cat, you got to send another guy at him. You got to make him uncomfortable. You got to make him do something that he wasn't because he can't dribble. Like he, he does his little stupid stank dribble behind his back and he for a big and it's so slow. It's so <laughs> slow. It is not. I mean, I get it. Uh, but it, it, like today's NBA is a little bit different. Guys have a little bit more respect for each other. Like I feel like in the eighties and nineties, uh, they were, they would have, they would have just tried to brutalize Joker. Like if he tried to put the ball on the ground like that too, they're, they're trying to take the ball from every chance they get. Uh, it's just a different NBA right now. Uh, and, and granted because there's texts and all kinds of things that come out of nowhere for no reason, ejections. Uh, so I get the dial down, but I'm going to make his life uncomfortable. Uh, but for the Timberwolves with that altitude, I've heard, I heard uh, not a rumor, but I heard a, a, one of the announcers say, uh, looks like Anthony Edwards' lungs are on fire right now. And I don't know if it's because he was bending over or what he was doing, but they have to find a way to get points off the bench. When they are doing well, it's the points off the bench. And those points off the bench, when you, when they rest their stars, those guys off the bench have to be sustainable. Like They have to sustain, even if they're down eight, keep it to eight. So then when the starters come back out, they have a chance. But if you go down eight and then you take your starters out and then you go down 15, it's over. And I hope that's not what we see tonight, Sam, but that's my opinion. You got to send mm-hmm. to a joker. You, you got to make him uncomfortable. Like, I don't feel like he was ever uncomfortable. He was he was having his way with Kyle Anderson whenever he wanted it. You got to make him uncomfortable so that he's having to make an extra pass, maybe pass it to the wrong person, uh, confuse him. You cannot just let him go one-on-one with Kyle Anderson. That's not the recipe for success. Uh, and then for the Timberwolves, you got to knock down open shots, and then you got to get play off the bench. But, Sam, I don't know. What are your thoughts about the game tonight? Because I just feel like if they go down 2-0, it's over. Yeah, well, the cliche is the series doesn't start till you lose a game at home. Uh, 
but if the wolves go down to nothing like think of it this way ron they would then have to win four out of five yeah to win the series that's really that's really tough to do the reason that joker is an impossible riddle to solve is because he's such a good passer for his career 6.6 assists a game and this year alone 9.8 assists per game. He's the best passing big man in the league. So if you do double him, which is not a bad idea, he's got KCP, 42% three-point shooter. He's got Michael Porter Jr., 41% three-point shooter. He's got Jamal Murray, 40% three-point shooter. So he's got three star shooters that he can dish to at any point, and that's how the Nuggets beat you. Uh, So I I think he's just – you almost have to pick your poison. Either go one-on-one with Joker and let him mm. travel in the lane and back you down and score, <laughs> or you double him and you risk the, the 40% three-point shooters beating you. Um, the, the bench scares me, too, because the guards off the bench are problematic. Like, Jalen Noel gives you some offense, but he's a problem on defense. Jordan McLaughlin has been a problem on offense uh, lately. He just He's not in the flow. He's not in the rhythm of the sets that they're running. He's trying to be aggressive against big guys, and he's making errant passes, and the decision-making, Chris Finch said, hasn't been there. So the things that you mentioned are critical, and they're also very, very difficult to do. Yeah, because um, when, when you look at the way the NBA set up, and again, I don't even know if they're going to win this, um, it would be amazing for somehow the Lakers end up playing the Timberwolves again. It's I don't think it can happen unless it's the it's the, it has to be the final. Uh, but that would be amazing if all of a sudden the Timberwolves are, are playing. But it's it's a pipe dream. I mean, seeing the way the Timberwolves are built now with the injuries, uh, just watching these other teams play in the playoffs, uh, just the lake like the Lakers' ability to knock down threes. Uh, you know, Rui Hishimura. Uh, I mean, he is just having himself a game. Like he had himself an absolute game, and and it's unfortunate. Like the Timberwolves, they they had that at one point. Uh, you were getting that out of Jaden McDaniels, uh, but he punched the wall, so he's out. You know, Nas Reed, he was giving you the bully minutes, uh, down low, the rebounds, the dirty play. You know, he could have been the guy to go at Joker to give you that guy to beat him up a little bit. He's out. Um, so. I, I, I'm not going to be negative because that's that's what Minnesota is built on. I feel like in sports, like it's just created negativity and it's nonstop. But it just it it feels like it's it's a tough mountain to climb. Uh, you look at the Kings right now. Like I said, giving the Warriors everything they want, and they are without Draymond Green. Breaking news: Draymond Green was suspended for stepping on the chest of Sabonis. <laughs> so I don't know. Like, and and I think for the NBA too, it's kind of tough to say we got to we can't not suspend him. And we saw him in 4K stomp on his like he he did the step in the name of love. Like he just stepped all over his chest and then jumped. Like I love the memes and the tweets because it's like Draymond Green and then it says nobody and it's no it says nobody and then it says Draymond Green and it has like a wrestler like coming off the top rope for no reason. Uh, and I think it was like Stephanie McMahon or something when she got hit, which of course it's, it's, it's a script. I hate to ruin wrestling for people. Uh, but Stephanie McMahon was just like walking it bothering nobody. And somebody came off the top, the top rope because they were into it with triple H. Sorry to say I was a WWE fan. So I knew all the storylines. Um, but I love that because the RKO, like, and for those that don't know, it's the move where he comes and grabs from behind. Boom. He will, he RKOs people for no reason sometimes. Like he just randomly walks around, he'll RKO somebody. So that's what I felt like Draymond Green was doing. Like he just he just lost it. Now, this is one thing I will say about the Timberwolves. You got to have an agitator. 
like I think the Memphis Grizzlies created natural agitation for the Timberwolves last year. Like there was natural fights, there was natural aggression. I don't feel like they have that right now. Like I feel like the Nuggets dictated the energy. Like the Nuggets ran them over. Aaron Gordon, because honestly, because of where the Nuggets play and when they play, nobody sees the Nuggets throughout the year. Like you don't really see the Nuggets on the national stage, so you don't know. You see Memphis all the time because of John Morant and their location to the Central, so they're able to play whenever. The Nuggets, you can't get sometimes a, a 2 p.m. game for us to see it at 4.30 in the afternoon. Like It just doesn't work for them. They want to play at 4 or 5, and then that's 6 o'clock for us, which there's already another better game at 6. Uh, or they come on at 7 o'clock, which is nighttime for their area, but for us, that's 9.30. I'm not staying up to 9 o'clock, 9.30 tip-off to watch the Nuggets. So you just don't see them as much. And, I mean, now we see why. But, again, they got to play them tonight. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But we got to get to a break, people. Uh, but remember, we are a proud partner with Care 11. Just go to care11.com backslash locked on to uh, get all of our videos, all of our shows. And also remember, uh, I forgot to say this, we have Roy Hall coming up, Ohio State receiver. Uh, former Indianapolis coach. He's now a, a public speaker. He's going to be coming on the Ron Johnson show. Hang on, Ron Johnson. Talk a little bit about his draft experience uh, and, and what he expects of the coach because we know quarterback could be the one. And then Ohio State, Big Ten. Now do they have uh, some foes with USC and UCLA? What does an Ohio State grad think about that? Uh, but we'll talk about that next. We have a word from our sponsors. We're presented today by FanDuel Sportsbook, America's number one sportsbook and an official partner of Locked On. Wolves and Nuggets tonight, you can get in the action there. Wild and Stars tonight, you can bet the puck line in Dallas and uh, get in the action in the NHL. Also, the Twins playing at Fenway. You've got Minnesota sports up and down the dial tonight. You can bet on all of it at FanDuel and the FanDuel Sportsbook app, which is safe, secure, and easy to use. And new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the app, put in the money, make the bet, and if you don't win, you can get that bet back for another chance at it. Also, stack your bets up for a chance at a same-game parlay for a chance at those big payouts. Don't miss that no-sweat-first bet. You can go to FanDuel.com slash on to get started. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Well, now it's time for the Hanging Around Johnson segment. As I said, we got Roy hall jr now he played receiver at ohio state so i'm not against other schools of course people i like the gophers but i'm all for for my friends and guys that i know but i actually uh short time but i actually coached roy with the indianapolis coach he was a receiver him pierre garçon reggie wayne marvin harrison anthony gonzalez um and, and that was the time that i was in the nfl as a coach for a short span before tony dungy retired uh but i want to thank roy hall for joining me on the ron johnson show uh Roy man like I remember and I'm and I'm and I don't know if you remember this I have a really good memory but I remember walking into that locker room sitting down with with Clyde with Tony uh Jim Jim Caldwell later sure uh, but I don't know if you remember I told you this but I remember looking at your size your body type and I said man you would make a really good H back tight end and you know, I know you were going through your 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 injury stuff and then trying to figure out a way, you know, to, to be a part of that offense. Sure. When you look back at that time with the coach, like what do you remember most? You know, it's it's awesome that you bring up that that moment. Um, because Ron, to be completely honest with you, I was a little bit lost. You know, I was kind of a unicorn with the Colts because of my size. 
um, specifically because I was a tweener. I was about 230. I wasn't quite a tight end, but I was more than fast enough to be a wide receiver. I mean, literally, I was like you. You were just a little bit taller than I than I am. And, and so um, I remember that conversation that we had, but more than anything, I remember the fact that that wasn't the only conversation you had with me. Now, I would imagine that you probably had relationships with other guys, but for whatever reason, you just took to me and you stayed in my ear from an encouragement standpoint because I struggled trying to figure out my professional identity on the field uh, because, you know, there was Marvin Harrison and Reggie and I didn't look like them. I didn't run routes like them. Um, and, and my whole body type was different. So I don't even think that, you know, our coach knew how to coach me. Um, as a matter of fact, he wanted me to lose weight. He wanted me to lose like 20 pounds because he wanted me to get closer to looking like a coach receiver. But I do remember fighting through some adversity mentally. And the one person that I knew that I could depend on, even if I didn't ask for help, was you. No matter what, you always showed up for me. And what I respected most about you is I wasn't the first round draft pick. I mean, it was Anthony Gonzalez who played at Ohio State with me. Um, and even Pierre was getting some playing time because I had my injury situation, as you mentioned. But I just truly appreciate uh, you walking over to I mean, that's who you were to me. Now, you didn't know it at the time, but every time you showed up, I knew that I had someone who literally believed in uh, my potential and what I could become. So I wanted to make sure. I saluted you and thanked you for that uh, because it means more than you know and definitely got me through some challenging times when I was there playing receiver. Man, appreciate it. I'm not going to tear up. Um, man, I didn't expect that. Appreciate it, though, yes, man. Sir. Um, this is one thing I'll say. I will say to this. Like, being a coach, um, I spent – and you know this. Like, Tony Dungy was my godfather. Or not was. He's not dead. He's alive. Um, <laughs> Tony Dungy, <laughs> you know, is. And I remember when I came into the building – um, and Tony introduced me to the team at the team meeting. I remember a lot of like jokes about all oh, nepotism and blah, blah, you know, um, uh, which I'm fine with. Cause you know what? Like nepotism works sometimes, sometimes it doesn't, it worked for me. Um, but the one thing I always talked to Tony about, because I was only, I think 31, 32 at the time, cause me and Reggie were the same age. And I, and I, I remember talking to Tony about that. Cause Tony, what people didn't know is he coached my dad, um, okay. when he was in his twenties. And so he wow. was. Tony had just come back to the Steelers, I think, in the 80s. So he had a short career and then came back to the Steelers in the 80s. He had to coach Mel Blunt. He had to coach my dad, Ron Johnson. He had to coach Donnie Shell, and he was younger than them. Uh, mm -hmm. Same age as some of them, younger than the others. You know, him and my dad were like, he's a little bit older than my dad, I think, by a year. But, you know, right in that same age group. And I remember asking Tony about that. And the one thing he said was, you have to coach everybody. You know, and I think he wanted me to make sure I didn't show up and just coach Reggie and just coach yep. Marvin and yep. just work on those guys. Yep. And uh, I took that to heart um, and I understood the assignment. Like I understood what he was saying, like because he because he, and you know this, his his mentality was next man up. Absolutely. And so what people don't see from the backside of the meetings that Tony has with his coaches is I can't have the next man up if the next man up isn't ready to play. It's and I think. Prepared. And exactly. And I think that's where I took it. That's why, you know, like Pierre and yourself, I would have you guys meet me in the mornings and and run routes and put some stuff on film for you guys mm -hmm. to see your body and understand, OK, this is how I look running a comeback. This is how I look running a curl. Uh, how do I perfect it? How do I take a hitch out of my movement? Um, but no, man, like you and I, like I said, I, I had went through what you went through with the Bears. You know, what I mean, like I was a big receiver at two. I was two thirty four, mm. um, you know, six, three, two thirty four. Play receiver for the Ravens for three years, uh, got hurt, went to the Bears. The Bears saw me at 234, 237 at that point. And they're like, man, can you play tight end? So I got to 247. 
and I started playing tight end for them. And so yep. uh, I appreciated Lovey Smith for that because a lot of people, like I, I asked the Ravens that, like, hey, can I play a little tight end? Blah, blah, because I feel I don't feel like I fit as just a receiver in the NFL. And the Ravens never really wanted to do it. They would let me in the meeting rooms every once in a while, but they never really did it. Uh, okay. and never gave me a chance. Whereas, and then they ended up bringing in a guy who literally was the same size as me and ended up staying Daniel Wilcox. Uh, ended up staying and doing the role that I wanted to have, but I think because they drafted me as a receiver, sure. and uh, and honestly, I think maybe that's what the Colts were going through with you. They had drafted you as a receiver, and it's tough sometimes for a GM uh, or a scout to do that. So that's that's why I think so. That's why I wanted to pour to you say, look, man, when it's time to be in the slot, think about being the tight end. Be a little bit more aggressive. Use your body, banging the guys. You know what I mean? Do the things that other guys like I told you. You could do things that Anthony Gonzalez can't do. Yep, because he was my slot that. too. I remember I had him in the slot. But I knew I couldn't tell him to post up a linebacker. Not at all. <laughs> so at all. Well, that's that's why I did that because that was my job to go back to the coach and say, look, man, this is something we could do. Like Roy can be the point on the uh, bunch and he's not going to get jammed. Like he's not going to disrupt the flow. So, no, I appreciate you, though, man. But, yeah, you I, know, think, I think that's part of what you're doing right now as well. I think you're you're coaching people up through this platform and through your through your position right now. And I think that's so important because the energy that you put out isn't negative energy. Right. You're giving truth. You're giving hard facts. You're having tough conversations and you're obviously giving the listeners what they want to hear. But the way in which you do it and how you include, for, for, the, for example, the likes of me coming on the show, being able to reminisce about the impact you've had from a personal standpoint. And I, as you obviously know, like in this society right now, like our attention gets to be on sports and different things because it's a distraction from a lot of the challenges that we have from a personal standpoint. So like this show is a feel good show, man. I love the fact that you brought me on and you bring all different sorts of guests on, but you're still coaching in your own way, just a different platform. Man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Well, talking about coaching, you're coaching corporate America. Like yeah. I, I, I watch your stuff, man, because I, I speak in schools, not, not to the level of you. Cause I, I don't have time. I wish I had more time to put into it. Uh, but I love like Walter Bond is a friend of mine, mm -hmm. a former gopher. And I know he's a big time speaker. And by the way, if you guys haven't met, I'd love to introduce you to him because I know he's a big time speaker. Just look up Walter Bond, uh, play for the Chicago Bulls, gophers basketball guy. He's a world like he I mean, he's world class. Awesome. Um, but I see you doing it, man. And what got you into that? Like what what was your moment uh, where you were like, you know, or what story are you using when you speak? Like, because I know you've been through a lot. Sure. It just depends on the audience in regards to the story. Um, but just really putting your actions in front of your words, you know, that's one that's if, it, if there's a lesson that I learned from being in that coach locker room, it was just from one simple interaction with Peyton. And, you know, I got hurt my first year. I blew out my shoulder running down on special teams, had a collision uh, with Cedric Killings, uh, who was playing for the Houston Texans. And he actually oh, yeah. fractured his neck or something. He never played again. Um, and I missed the rest of the season. I came back the following year going into that season. I saw Peyton in the locker room and I told him, hey, I've been on my film. I know the playbook now. I'm healthy. I'm ready to go. And, you know, I'm still 6'3", 230, 235. And Peyton looked at me like, man, you're absolutely right. We're excited to have you back. We're looking forward to how you can implement. We can implement you into the offense and do some creative things. And obviously you were around around that time. So it was a lot of excitement. We had just drafted Pierre and came that fall and was supposed to have a simple knee scope and um it turned into a blood clot which actually almost killed me and uh not too many people know that and so you know we got through that but i lost all functionality and all movement in my leg and so it was almost like an acl recovery 
And I didn't come back to the team until week 13 or 14, which is unheard of because they didn't put me on IR. And so I went on to play, played in a playoff game against the San Diego Chargers, came back the next year. Okay, now remember, I only had two two games that year. Mm -hmm. Same injury, same issue, have to have another surgery. But before that, I saw Peyton in the locker room. Hey, man, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling great. Um, Told him the exact same thing. And, Ron, when I tell you, Peyton looked at me, you know, his big old head, 6'5", you know what I'm saying, his khaki, tight khakis on with his little, you know, loafers on with no socks. And he was like, you know, that, that's all good and everything, Roy, but you told me the same thing last year. And then he just pivoted and walked away. And so first of first thing that went through my mind is like, yo, I'm from Cleveland. Like, you're not about to just walk away from me, bro. Like, I'm in the city of Cleveland. You're not going to just – I'm a grown man. You're not going to walk away from me. Right. Um, and then, you know, I started to get in my feelings. But what I realized, what he was communicating was disappointment because he was depending on me the year before that I had told him the same things, but I didn't follow through. And I learned a valuable lesson that words can be tricky, but actions attract trust. Actions attract trust. And I learned that from him in that moment where anything that I do is so much more and has so much more weight than what I say. And so whether I'm going into a school or I'm in corporate America, it's about perspective. What have you been doing and what have you been saying and are they aligned? Because if they're not, that's probably the problem that uh, you're going through or dealing with challenge. What challenges you're dealing with personally or professionally. So um, the stories that I tell just, you know, have everything to do with the audience that I'm talking to. I didn't really have an aha moment, mm-hmm. um, but I started off just like you. I was at a football camp talking to kids, gave them a little five-minute deal like we always do at our football camps that we go to in the summertime, and that just kind of parlayed. You know, hey, can you come to this camp? Can you do this? Can you speak to this school? And I started my own organization uh, my rookie year with the Colts called the Driven Foundation, and that mm-hmm. kind of gave me a platform and a vehicle to get into some schools to serve and to give back, and it started there. And then, then you start doing professional development with the teachers, and next thing you know, you recognize and realize – that we play at the highest level in the world, Ron. Like, Mm -hmm. it's only 160 NFL wide receivers on the active roster every single week. 160 out of 8 billion people, my brother. 160, not a doctor, not an attorney. not. There's only a few people that's 160 of us on the planet. And so when you realize what it takes to get to that elite level, to get to the level of excellence and to compete at that level and stay for a few years, I think you got some things to offer to corporate America because they're going through the same types types of things. So I just try and weave in those stories and kind of get in and get out of different areas and moments in my life where I had to overcome adversity and it seems to be doing the trick. Yeah, man, that's that's uh, that's huge. And so, you know, let's let's pivot a little bit into the draft because the NFL draft's coming up next week. We're going to have a whole bunch of coverage on 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 TV, national TV. We got some ESPN guys coming on our show next week uh, with Merrill Hodge and then also uh, what's his name? Jordan Reed from ESPN. OK. Um, and, and so we've been talking about the draft. And so everybody like Merrill's been drafted. Jordan Reed's never been. You know, he played quarterback in college, but never got a chance. Um, but But you and I, we've been drafted. And I know my experience, but I want to hear yours because when you got drafted, you also got drafted. So Reggie Wayne was there. Marvin Harrison was there. But you also got drafted into a, a group that drafted Anthony Gonzalez. Like they drafted Anthony Gonzalez from your school. So when you go in as another receiver drafted with another first, their first round pick, what is your mindset going into that locker room? Well, you already know that you have to make a name for yourself. And I knew as a fifth round pick, 
at 6'3", 230, ran a 4'3", at my pro day. Man. That they were, I was going to be playing special teams somewhere, somehow, <laughs> right? Now, you, you got me on size and you got me on numbers and stats, but you ain't run no 4'3", Ron. I know that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I ran a 4'5". 4'5", 4'5", 4'5", Damn near 4'6". Hey, listen, you would have you would been a lot higher. Would you get drafted in 02? Man, you probably would have went top top five. If you oh, yeah, if I could have got a 4'3", oh, yeah, yeah. I'm oh, definitely, yeah, I yeah. definitely would have been first, second round for sure. Yeah, but I just knew I was going to have to make a name for myself um, on the special team side. And that's what I focused on. Like, if I can just be some cats on the special team side, they'll start to notice me as a receiver. But if I can show value to be able to make the team, um, then that's what I was going to do. So that's what I did. I just destroyed cats on special teams all through the summer, all through the fall camp, and I uh, was able to secure a spot. But the mindset is, like, I know what Anthony Gonzalez could do. I know what Gonzo could do. Um, and I know that I was right with him. I think it's an opportunity situation. You know how it goes in, in mm -hmm. any level of, of ball or even in life. Like if you get an opportunity, all of a sudden you start to excel. But if there's a lot of people fighting for a lot of jobs, sometimes you don't have that opportunity. When I was at Ohio State, we had Ted Ginn Jr., who was a top, top 10 pick mm -hmm. in that same draft. <laughs> and then Gonzo was, I think, number 30 or 31. I got drafted in the fifth round. The following year, Brian Robisky got drafted in the oh, second yeah. round. Brian Hartline, our current offensive coordinator at The Ohio State University, got drafted in the fourth round. And then Santonio Holmes got drafted the year before that in the first round. So, I mean, <laughs> our receiving core and receiving room was crazy. Uh, so I just didn't get the opportunities that, that I felt like um, I needed to be on that level. But I knew that I wasn't that far off of where Gonzo was. And I also knew – as we stated earlier, that I brought something different to the table. So going into it is make the team. And how do I make the team? Show up on special teams, make a couple flash plays in the offense, start to earn the trust of the veterans, and you will find yourself on the roster. Yeah, and I've made a lot of jokes on this show about Peyton Manning every once in a while and on the radio when I do the Vikings postgame stuff. Uh, but people really don't understand how serious I am about this. And so I joke about Peyton Manning mm -hmm. and how cerebral he is with, like, plays you know when you got florida it looks like an f and then uh, i forgot the other one i think it was memphis or something it looked like an m and then you mm -hmm. know the big cat i can't make this the sign but you know if he wants you to run a big comeback you know he had a signal for that uh but but how was that because i know as a coach i was like oh my god like what is going like we have to know all of this but as a player like what was that going like i'm trying to understand all the Peytonisms, all the hand signals all the changes that could happen at the line of scrimmage him wiping a play clean because i mean <laughs> i've gone into seven on seven with no script because the coaches are like this is peyton's like we would script out jim sorgi sure. we wouldn't script out peyton because peyton would just create and then the backup coach or quarterback or me sometimes we'd have to write down the play so that on film we know we're watching because we'd Absolutely. have to ask peyton after like what was that you tell us oh, we'll write it, it down it was difficult it yeah, was difficult, man. It was like, I'm, and here's the thing about Peyton. He didn't teach the young guys. His communication was solely with the veterans and the guys that had been there. So he's right. doing hand signals and hand gestures that you haven't even reviewed. It was like four or five different uh, signals just for a dig route. I mean, you could dig in your nose. It was like digging your pants, <laughs> digging behind you. It was, it, it was dig like scoop. It was so many different dig signals. And he might give you one that you've never heard of, but he expected you to know it. Right. So trying to pay attention, it forced you as a young guy to pay attention when you're standing back there waiting for your chance to get in to see exactly what he's doing, even though you don't know exactly what jargon he's saying. It was extremely difficult to learn all those things because you're trying to learn the plays plus the hand signals. Because when you're in rookie camp, 
they give you all the plays, they slow play it. And then when Peyton gets in there, he gets in there like you've been there for five or six years. So it was a challenge for sure. And when you look at college football right now in the Big Ten, you know, it's it's changing. USC, UCLA are coming. Uh, Ohio State is kind of the king of the East with Michigan. And Michigan has had their number the last couple of years. What What's going on with that? Because John, uh, Jim Harbaugh makes the joke all the time, uh, you know, that all of a sudden Ohio State thinks they're better than they are until they play us. But what's going on with that where Michigan has just found a way back-to-back times to just put Ohio State in their place? Well, I think one thing that Michigan has going from them right now is they have a unique identity. They play old-school smash-mouth Jim Harbaugh football, and that's not what we do in college football anymore. Mm -hmm. If you remember when Urban Meyer was dominating the Big Ten, it's because he had the quarterback who was kind of like an evolution of Tim Tebow, where you had JT Baird, you had Braxton Miller, you had all these guys that could run and throw it effectively. And so Michigan didn't have that. We had, they had it in Denard Robinson for a second, which was the only year in that tenure over like a a 12 year period where they beat Ohio state because they had a mobile guy, but they couldn't find it afterwards. Michigan has an identity now that's different from every other big 10 where they're willing to line up you know, nine offensive linemen, so to speak, eight offensive linemen, and then, you know, just smash and just run it down your throat and then beat you in the play-action game. It's old-school, mid-'90s, late-'90s football, and it's the type of football that we grew up playing, right? Now you have four and five wide. If you can figure out a way to contain an offense that's high-powered and keep things in front of you, but then you turn around and give up a field goal, but you can smash it down the field, you know, just three yards, six yards, ten yards here – Eventually, you break teams. And so their physicality um, has given us a problem. Their identity and slow balliness has given us a problem. And Jim Harbaugh is doing a great job now is capitalizing on the momentum of beating Ohio State to now jumping in those upper top 15, top 20, top 10 rankings from a recruiting standpoint. So it's only going to continue. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But obviously, the Big Ten, in my opinion, is uh, transforming into the power conference. I mean, I'm not going to forget about uh, PJ and Coach Fleck over there at Minnesota. PJ was actually a receiving GA for Ohio State my senior year. Oh, right. Okay. And so the same PJ that's running up and down the sidelines, <laughs> high energy, he can't turn that energy off. But you see how he was able to infuse that energy into the team his first couple of years. And I think this year he'll have a good turnaround as well. So uh, the Big Ten is filled with coaches and filled with talent. Everybody has their individual identity. But Michigan is the one that says we don't need five and six wide. We're just going to beat you up front. Yeah, and one more quick one, or two more quick ones before we get out of here. Uh, UCLA, like I said, UCLA and USC are coming to the Big Ten. UCLA signed Dante Moore, number one quarterback, quote unquote, uh, out of Detroit, Michigan, which he goes to my went to my high school. Uh, he's now at UCLA. They also, and I had Deshaun Foster on the show. They were able to to keep some running backs to not go to the NFL, but they're putting running backs in the NFL as well. Uh, UCLA is utilizing because they took Dante Moore. He had committed to Oregon, and they took him. I don't know mm-hmm. how. But I'm guessing it's NIL. USC, same thing. Lincoln Riley, they were nothing. And now all of a sudden, Caleb Williams shows up and they're good. NIL. When USC and UCLA come to the Big Ten and with this whole NIL platform in LA, because LA is big, you know, that's big time. Do you think it's going to be tough for Ohio State and Michigan to compete with the UCLA and and USC's? Because I'm guessing USC, Ohio State will have a rivalry. And I'm guessing UCLA and Michigan will as well. Um, but what is that going to look like? 
I, I think UCLA and, and, and USC, they can have an, they may have a little bit more of an advantage from a financial standpoint. Mm-hmm. But if you're from Detroit, Michigan, it's going to take a lot to get me all the way out to LA and move away from my True. family. True. Right. So they may have that advantage, but they can't roll that out every single big time player that they want to. They're going to be able to get and cash in on some Midwest guys. But what it does is it also opens up the door for Ohio State, Michigan to go to California and get more involved with the recruiting in the NIL out there and pull them this way um, for the same reasons. And then when you throw in a name like a CJ Stroud, who's from California, you can say, hey, you can be from the West Coast and still have success in the Midwest. And so I think USC and UCLA will come to the Big Ten and in the Midwest and try and pull some talent. But it's going to be so hard to pull a guy from, say, a Columbus, Ohio or Cleveland, Mm -hmm. Ohio, and send them all the way out to L.A. and expect for their mom to be able to fly out there all the time unless you give them that NIL money. So they can have NIL, but it's still our territory and backyard here in the Midwest. Yeah, because Dante Moore, 6'5", 230-pound Cam Newton-type quarterback. He passed Arch Manning uh, late in the recruiting process, and and we see why Arch Manning doesn't look as great as he does at Texas. Uh, People had said that. I I was nervous because Dante Moore is from Detroit, and so I know the competition is a lot tougher in the inner city, uh, but you just never know how it translates, and clearly it's translating because, I mean, the kid had a great spring game. I was having a great spring as far as what uh, Deshaun Foster has been telling me um Roy one quick one before we get out of here usually when I when I sign off with a guest man I like to let them uh kind of tell themselves something so whether it's a it's a time capsule imagine you're uh Michael J Fox and you're in um uh back to the future and you're able to go back into the future and drop yourself a time capsule because you can't see yourself but you can leave yourself a note um just let me know what you think that would be what would you tell yourself to kind of help yourself with the future and anybody else that might be in your situation football or whatever your occupation is or whatever you do that you're passionate about football is what you do but it is not who you are Uh, your identity is not in what you do it's in how you go out and you serve and you help people and your potential to be great is not based on your statistic it's not based on starting it's not based on being the top performer it's not based on accolades everything that you do and your sole purpose in this world is to use whatever you have in your life to help another human being And sometimes having a specific platform or a title as a CEO or COO or an NFL ball player looks amazing on paper. But what it does is gives you a better perspective on how you can use that on all the people that don't have that. It gives you an opportunity to have gratitude. And and as long as you're at the top of the mountain and trying to get to the top of the mountain, don't get to the top of the mountain just to have a better view. Get to the top of the mountain to be able to have a better perspective on the people that are climbing up the mountain or at the bottom of the mountain so that you can go back down and help pull them back up. People say so many times that being at the top of the mountain is lonely or being at the top is lonely. That's only because you went by yourself. And so it's our responsibility, no matter where you are, uh, to use uh, your platform for a purpose. And always remember, again, it's what you do, but it's not who you are. And you get to become whoever you want to be. And hopefully that's helping people around the world. Man, I like the mountain one. I'm at to I'm at to use that and quote you when I uh when I get on when I get on Fox or something or NBC because I like that. I like that. Top of the mountain is lonely, but only because you didn't bring somebody with you. Man, I like that. That's yes, dope. That, that's yes, a good sir. one right there, man. Well, yes, I want to thank Roy Hall for joining me on the Ron Johnson Show Hanging Ron Johnson segment. Coming up next, we're gonna do a little daily three. Vikings just started OTAs, so you know what that means. They're hitting the podium. So we'll talk about that next. 
Well, we saw uh, the Green Bay Packers uh, showing Jordan Love. The Jordan Love era began, and it was very lackluster. Like, there was no hoopla. There was no, like, cheers on Twitter. It was basically like, uh, he's coming to work. Here he comes. The Vikings, on the other hand, uh, people are excited about the Vikings, but there's a lot of stuff going on. Daniil Hunter deleting all of his pictures on Instagram, but he still has a picture at the Viking Stadium. So I think that's just uh, not a millennial because he's not a millennial. I don't know what they're Gen Z. I don't know what these guys are called, this age group. Um, but I think that's just what the new age kids do. They delete their Instagram. But then you had Garrett Bradbury showing up saying it doesn't feel like spring. Uh, you show Kirk Cousins showing up looking more business-like. We're going to do a, a, a Vikings edition of Daily 3. That's the three topics from OT or sorry, off yeah, OTAs. This is off-season workouts or all whatever you want to call them. Uh, but Sam, spring training starting for uh, the Vikings. Take it away. You got it. So we, there were six press conferences um, over the last two days. I'm going to try to boil down what I think are the three biggest quotes or storylines that came out of that. Mm -hmm. Harrison Smith spoke yesterday, and he admitted, Ron, he said, that retirement thoughts have crept into his mind, not just this past year, but in recent years. Do you think Harrison Smith is on the verge of retirement? Will he retire as a Viking? I think so. Yeah. There's the thing when you've made enough money to kind of be comfortable, 30, 40, 50 million dollars, uh, and you can be comfortable and you are the battering ram, like you are hitting every week, you're hurt, going through training camp. Uh, that's the one thing a lot of players that have played that long talk about, like playing 10, 15 years, uh, let's just say eight, nine years. Um, they always say when they're done, they feel so much better. Their bodies feel better, uh, their mind is better, they're not worried every day. Um, it's, and then, you know, he's got a baby now it, it life changes. Like when you don't have any kids and you're just married, you're just waking up, going to practice. When you leave that baby there all day, um, it could be a little bit of that too. Like he might be having a little daddy remorse of like, oh man, I really wish I was just home with the baby. I have enough money to do that and, and, and watch her do everything in the world. Um, I, I think that all creeps in. Um, also when like you, you go through a, like contract negotiations and, and I think that's what Lamar Jackson is going through. It's an emotional toll on you for him probably too to like hear like, oh, well, we're either going to have to cut you, you know, or, you know, are you willing to redo your contract? Uh, whereas Adam Thielen was like, no, cut me. You know, Harrison Smith's like, I, I got a new baby. I don't want to uproot them already. Like, I like Minnesota. Um, let's go. I mean, no, he took over Adam Thielen's charity event for the softball game. So he's really built in and, and dialed into this community. So I think for him, yeah, it's like, you know what? I don't, I can't see myself going somewhere else. Um you know, you think about Ed Reed, you know, I think he went to the Jets and the Texans. Those stops for him, nobody really remembers him. You know what I mean? Like everybody knows Ed Reed, the Viking. Or sorry, the, the Raven. The Raven, yeah. Um, And so I think Harrison Smith's the same. He's like, do I want to go somewhere else for two years? Yeah, I can make $2 million. And for a lot of people, they're like, whoa, I do it. Now, I would do it. Now, like $2 million? Yeah, let's go do it. But when you have enough money in your body, you put your body through a ton, sometimes you have to think about the longevity of like life after football because these guys are going to, let's just say they're done at 35, 32, 35. They got 35 more years before, like, I mean, my, fa my father lost 75 and he still golfs and does everything every day. Like, you got a ton of life left. And so I think for these guys, too, it's, it's about the mental health and all the other stuff that comes along with it. Uh, so, yeah, I could see him being done after this year. You know, whatever his contract is for the Vikings, playing it out and then being done. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think it explains maybe his decision a little more to just take the restructure. And I, I think he becomes a free agent after this year. But maybe if he knew he only had one or two more years left, it makes more sense to play that in Minnesota, retire a Viking and just add to his legacy. Uh, and that was a good press conference, too. That guy, with every year that goes by, he gets more and more philosophical 
uh, gets a little <laughs> older, more wisdom. He, he was fun to listen to yesterday, kind of putting it all into, into perspective. Yeah. Here's what else I have for you, Ron. Uh, we talked to Jordan Hicks and Brian Asamoah, the linebackers, and they mm-hmm. raved about uh, Eric Kendricks, the teammate who's no longer around. Jordan Hicks uh, talked about Kendricks and said that he had telepathy on the field, that nine times out of ten, he would predict something to happen and it would happen. Uh, with that in mind, how much are the Vikings going to miss Eric Kendricks this year? Oh, a ton. Uh, Eric Kendricks, man, he did stuff sometimes that, and it, it comes from just doing it over and over again. It was repetition for him, uh, muscle memory for him. One, to put on that purple uniform. Two, to play in that defense and play with those guys. Um, it, it's it, it, yeah, I guess you can call it a form of telepathy, but it's just like it's like playing basketball with five guys every day. Um, eventually, you just get in the groove. So if you think about uh, Ray Allen, uh, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh. Like, if you remember that Miami Heat team, they had that. Like, if you think about Magic Johnson, you know, and, and running the floor uh, with Showtime in L.A., you don't make a no-look pass to James Worthy unless you know for a fact he's there. You know, uh, Joe Montana talked about that. He could close his eyes and throw an out route to Jerry Rice, and they actually practiced it where he would throw blind-handed out route, blindfolded out routes to Jerry Rice. Now, whether that was, you know, tongue-in-cheek and that was just something that the media got because they were just saying that's how much of, they're on the same page. But that's just what happens when you've been with somebody that long. You can close your eyes and know they're going to be where they're going to be. You know, if you play in this league long, you know the plays that are going to happen. Like Ray Lewis, same thing. Ray Lewis always was in the right place at the right time, never took a false step, always was coming downhill, always was around the big hit. He was a ball hawk. Um, Ed Reed, same way. Like he always found a way to understand these quarterbacks and what they want to do. That's where Eric Kendricks was. Like, again, he was just in a groove. And so they are going to miss that. They're going to miss his ability to just know like, hey, I've seen this set before. Let's change it to this defense. Uh, I've seen this play before. I know this running back's going this way. He's not, even though he's faking this way, he's coming back. Um, I, yeah, those those things are tough to replace. Uh, and so I get where Jordan, and, and also for Jordan Hicks being new, and then having a veteran here to kind of help him out, walk him through it. And same with Brian Osamoa being a rookie. Yeah, it's just a different mindset when you have a, a veteran that can help you out because he's been doing this for so long. Uh, so, yeah, they're going to miss that. They are going to miss that. And I think it explains why they wanted Hicks back. Because if you lose Kendricks, you need a veteran back there who can get yeah. people organized. I mean, you, you can't leave that up to Brian Osamoa in his second year. I think you need it. Even if that, even if Hicks has lost a step, maybe in his career, I think you need his mind to help call You know, maybe he's got the green dot this year, just calling right. the plays and getting people in the right spots. Uh, last one, Lewis seen spoke on Monday. He said that he's doing a lot of activities at full speed. Wouldn't give a timeline for his return back to the field, but things are progressing really well for Lewis seen. What do you expect his impact is going to be this year? Oh, man. I don't know. I really don't know because, again, uh, when you look at Bynum, he he made it so hard to put Lewisine on the field. I don't think it was a Lewisine issue. I think it was a Cam Bynum celebration. Um, Lewisine, I think, without Cam Bynum, Lewisine probably does start the season off. But Cam Bynum through training camp, Cam Bynum through the preseason, he made it impossible for them to do that. Like, if you think about... Um, I've heard this story with Ryan Clark. You know, when he goes to the Steelers, there were other safeties and, and DBs in the running to be, you know, number one. And Mike Tomlin, and now we just see Dick LeBeau come out with the 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 tweet or whatever the not he doesn't tweet, but somebody tweeted Dick LeBeau said this about Ryan Clark. 
that, you know, he was one of the smartest, hardest working safeties he had ever seen in his life. And I think that's what Cam Bynum did. He put himself in a position where the coaches were like, man, how can we start this rookie? And this other kid is giving us so much. He's given us so much flexibility as a former corner. He can come down and, and cover in the box. Uh, he, he understands route recognition as a nickel corner. Uh, he works well with Harrison Smith. Um, are we going to have that same type of play from Lewisine? Maybe, but it's maybe worth taking off what we know we can get out of Cam Bynum, which was a really good season. So I think that's going to be the issue. I think for Lewisine, they're going to have to find a way to get him on the field. Like, again, you can't replace Cam Bynum until either he leaves because he's earned that spot now. Like he's the starting safety alongside Harrison Smith. We were always saying, who's going to be next to Harry. Now it's Cam Bynum uh, for Lewis scene. He has to find a way on the field and nickel, maybe be a big safety in the box. Uh, like we wanted with J Ron curse. Um, so I think he can give you some flexibility uh, with some of these hybrid offenses where you're, we have multiple tight ends. Lewis scene can come in and be a linebacker that can guard a tight end, uh, but also big enough, strong enough, willing to hit uh, to be in the box and cover the run as well. And then also, uh, be a third DB out there where he becomes the second safety and Bynum because we know Bynum can play in the nickel because, again, we don't know what Brian Flores is going to do. Cam Bynum can come down and guard. So um, I don't know. I'm just going to see what, where, where it goes. But, again, first first and foremost, it's getting back on the field and, and being 100% healthy because you don't want to go out there and re-injure anything or set yourself back because that's what athletes do. They push themselves so hard sometimes because they always say, oh, this scar tissue, you just have to fight through it, and then they get hurt. And so, you know, it, it's not always scar tissue. Like that was a compound fracture. We saw bone out of like when cameras don't when cameras cut away, there's some gruesomeness, you know, and, and that's what I realized because I was watching that game and I'm like, what happened? And then all of a sudden I see the Vikings internal stuff and I'm like, oh, wow, like this dude almost lost his leg. They had to I mean, he had to stay overseas with one of the trainers and I actually met mm -hmm. the trainer that had to stay with him for a week before they could fly back on the on the Wilfs jet. Um, but yeah, like, I, I just hope his health is there. That's the first thing before playing. I want him to be healthy and then mentally ready to play. I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? I think they'll slow play him too. I mean, I don't think they're going to push him back here for OTAs or mini camp. I, I think that the earliest we'll see him is training camp and that gives him a full 10 months from the injury, which I think makes a lot of sense. So I, I would expect he's got four months from now. And he's already doing stuff full speed. I, I think that's a realistic time frame for him. No need to push him here in the spring. Well, that'll do it for us today, people. I want to thank everybody that continues to watch, download, share. I want to thank FanDuel for being a sponsor uh, and, and continuous supporter of the show. Uh, Built Bar, all everybody that's been involved in this project, I want to thank you. But thank for the subscribers. And remember, if you want endless Vikings talk, just make sure you subscribe to Locked On Sports Minnesota on YouTube. Also, wherever you get your podcast, uh, subscribing is the big deal. You got to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartMedia app, whatever you use to get your podcast. Just search Locked On Sports Minnesota, hit the subscribe button. I want to thank you guys and have a great day.